0: That song is a is a blessed reminder, and it's something we do need to uh, remind ourselves. Even as uh, David had to constantly remind himself uh, to be still before the Lord, to trust in His goodness and His grace in the midst of all kinds of life's trials and circumstances, uh, and even that which is good. I think sometimes we get uh, we think that because life is going good. Uh, sometimes we forget in the midst of that goodness to be still and to tell our souls to be still and to trust in God because so often our eyes are taken off of him and onto the good things of this world as well. And so it's a very uh, applicable hymn for us and it actually is very applicable as we come back and and turn to Acts as we're drawing to a conclusion here. And I'd invite you to take your Bibles and. Uh, turn to Acts chapter 25, Acts chapter 25, and I invite you to pray with me as we ask the Lord's blessing. Father, again, we uh, still our souls uh, before you, pausing to remember and to think upon you and your goodness and your grace to us. We thank you for the blessing of your word, knowing that it is eternal, that it accomplishes all the purposes for which you send it forth. And we ask that it would accomplish its purpose in our lives this morning, Father. I pray that you would enable me by your spirit and by your grace to speak the truth of your word to your people, that you would enable them to have ears that are prepared and hearts that are prepared to hear not my wisdom, and not my insight into life, but to hear yours, for that is the only wisdom and truth that matters. And so we lift up this time to you, Father, from the book of Acts, and we pray that you would bless the preaching and the hearing of your word. In the name of Christ, our Savior, amen. So we're covering a actually a very large uh, section of uh, Scripture this morning. We're covering two chapters, in fact. Uh, The first section uh, of our study is going to come from Acts chapter 25, and it's verses 1 to 22. And it serves really as a, if you've been with us going through this study, um, you'll know that God has been showing us how through the Holy Spirit, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ has been working in the hearts of His people, the apostles, to build and to expand His kingdom, and we're really coming at this point uh, to the crescendo of the Book of Acts, um, the the crescendo of the the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ through His apostles in the early church, and it's crescendoing here in these this very last and final trial of the Apostle Paul that Luke is presenting to us. And so, 25, 1 to 22, is sort of like a, a long transition that 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 Luke wants to build us up to, to crescendo into this final trial of Paul before um, King Agrippa in 25, 23 to 26, 32. And so, You'll remember when Luke introduced us to the Apostle Paul and his conversion back in Acts 9. He noted how a disciple named Ananias, you remember, was told by the Lord to go to the house of Judas and to look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. And he was told to go because this man was a chosen instrument of God who would carry his name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And the Lord reiterated this calling on Paul's life in Acts 23, when he first came before the Roman Tribune, and he came to give Paul comfort and told the Apostle Paul to take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. And so, that is what we have here in this final trial of paul the lord graciously worked through paul's life he worked through his providential hand to protect him to open the doors for him to fulfill the purpose for which god had called paul which is to testify between both jew before both jew and gentile leaders and kings of uh, the kingship of the lord jesus christ And as we've been looking at, even in our Bible study this morning about the decree of God, what I want you to remember as we go through these two chapters, and we're going to go through them quickly. We're not going to exposit every verse and every word. But I want you to keep this in mind: is that the Lord and His decree and the events that we have looked at in the Book of Acts mean this that nothing that has taken place thus far has been by chance or luck. People love to talk about chance and they love to talk about luck. But in reality, God's influence in directing Paul's life and all of history for that matter is ultimately determined and decreed by God. And there is a great comfort and a great boldness that we as God's people should take uh, from that truth. And, And I think this is the crescendo that Luke is really drawing us to as we look at God's work through the history of his church. And so here we have the man Paul bearing witness to Christ before King Agrippa, Queen Bernice, Governor Festus, Military tribunes of the Roman Empire and prominent men of the city and leaders from among the children of Israel. That's an amazing event. An amazing event. And so let me just review chapter 25 as Luke draws us here. Chapter 25, 1 to 22. Luke begins to build this bridge, and he notes how Festus, who ultimately replaced Felix as governor of Judea, he went to Jerusalem three days after he took over and was rather quickly informed by the Jewish leadership of the case concerning Paul, and they were urging to extradite Paul to Jerusalem, and ultimately so they might do what they've been planning to do all along, which is to kill him. And what is noteworthy, I thought, as I read this chapter, is that you do realize that Paul had been in prison for two years. Two years Paul had been in prison, and I thought that really gives a sense of just how opposed these Jewish leaders were toward the gospel. You would think that after two years of being in prison, that they would have thought, uh, oh, this Paul's, at least he's done. He's not on the streets. Let's forget about him. He's in prison. Let's move on with life. But for two years, they harbored this animosity and this anger about Paul. And for two years, they thought and plotted how they might kill him. And it also is a picture then of just how powerful the testimony of the gospel had been. Because as Paul is in prison for two years, it must be that people are being saved and turning to Christ and being transformed. And the Jewish leadership, even though they imprisoned Paul, they can't stop the influence of the gospel. And so they hate the gospel. And like Satan going about, as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, two years later, they are still trying to silence the gospel. And so Festus invites the leaders within Israel to once again go to Caesarea with him and lay out their charges against Paul, and that's what they did. They laid out their false accusations once again without proof, as we have seen in the previous trials. And once again, Paul offers his defense, and he states that he had neither violated the laws of the Jews, the temple, or committed any offense against Caesar, because that was part of their accusation against him. And so Festus, like Felix before him, he desires to win the favor of his subjects, and he wants to open the door for Paul to go to Jerusalem, and so he poses a question to Paul, knowing that that's what the Jews wanted, and asks him, Paul, do you want to go and be tried in Jerusalem? And, of course, Paul uh, denies that appeal, and he says, if I've done anything wrong against Rome, it's the Roman law that I have to be tried under. And so he appeals to Caesar. Now, when we're thinking about God's providential hand, here's here's what we have to remember is that 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 festus he could have said i find no fault in this man and i acquit him he could have just acquitted paul he could have allowed paul to leave prison he didn't have to listen to his appeal to caesar but this is god working through the hearts of men even wicked men to accomplish his purpose and so as festus has this case and he meets with his counselors they decide to grant Paul by God's providential hand the request to go before Caesar. At this point, Luke tells us that King Agrippa, along with Bernice, came to Caesarea. They greeted Festus. They welcoming him to his new post. And just a little bit of background here regarding King Agrippa. King Agrippa is Jewish, He's the great-grandson of Herod the Great. Remember, Herod the Great ruled at the time of Jesus' birth. Uh, Herod the Great is the one who murdered the children under two years old in an effort to kill the Lord Jesus, the newborn king. His father, Agrippa I, is the one who executed James and had Peter arrested. Uh, He was the one ultimately eaten by worms but for failing to give glory to God. Then his great uncle was Herod Antipas, and he was the one who had John beheaded, John the Baptist beheaded for admonishing him for marrying his brother's wife in Mark 6. And he is also the one who sought to kill Jesus and later sat in trial over Jesus uh, as Jesus was being condemned. So it's a very illustrious line, his ancestry, right? It's a very, very positive view of this king. They they, here's the weird thing, is he's not as bad as those other, as those other ones, and yet he, he is still one who is living in sin and rebellion, as seen by the fact that Bernice is not only the queen, but Bernice is also his sister. So this is not a man known for moral integrity and so in any case, during his visit with Festus, Festus brings up the subject of Paul and relays the basic facts of the case, and he wants to gain insight from King Agrippa because King Agrippa has an understanding of the Jewish background. And so, um, so he does that. And Festus, he's totally unfamiliar Even the way he talks about the incident says, they're debating about some man that Paul says is alive and the Jews are saying he's dead. Like that's as far as Festus's understanding goes. But King Agrippa has this understanding. So Festus relates it to him and Agrippa is aroused. He wants to know what is taking place. And so he says in verse 22, I would like to hear the man himself. Now, that's quick review of 25, 1 to 22. Now, here's what I want you to notice here. First of all, notice if you read through these two chapters, you will notice this repeated designation throughout these two chapters of Paul, the man. Paul, the man. If you look at 25, verse 5, so said he, Let the men of authority come among you and go down, and if there is anything wrong about the man. Verse 7, he says, And when he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges. Um, sorry, this is not verse 7. I'll um, get okay, verse 22 there's another one in there I, I just can't find it right now verse 22 he says tomorrow then Agrippa said to Festus I would like to hear the man myself verse 24 and Festus said King Agrippa and all who are present with us you see this man And even in the conclusion in 26, verse 31, when they met after the trial of Paul, they said, when they had withdrawn, said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment, and this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. And so there's this emphasis on this man, this man, this man, the Apostle Paul and then I want you to notice then in verse 23 how this is set in contrast this man bearing witness to Christ is set in contrast chapter 25 verse 23 to the arrival the next day of Agrippa and Bernice and you'll notice how Luke presents this to us he actually notes, now uh, let me read it, let me read it, verse 23. He says, so on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. So here is this man testifying of Christ, and Luke says he comes before Agrippa and Bernice who enter with great pomp. Now, the Greek word pomp there is the word fantasia, okay? And we get the words fantasy and fantastic from it. And if you've ever been to Disneyland, you've experienced this word firsthand. Fantasia, fantastic, fantasy. It's it's this illusion, this picture of something grand and something fabulous. James Boyce noted in his commentary, he says, it speaks to something which is light and fleeting or passing, something of momentary interest only. And so why does Luke use this word to describe their entry? Well, in the world, what do we tend to think of when we think of things that are impressive and big and flashy? We tend to think of them as more stable or lasting. We We build ornate skyscrapers with fancy decorations and big windows and big glasses that are 100 stories tall. The reason mankind builds those kinds of buildings is because they think by building big and fancy buildings that people will look at their corporation and their company as big and stable and worthwhile. That's why we do that. And we do that even with our egos. We pursue the latest in fashion or we seek to drive the most expensive cars and live in the biggest homes and we attach ourselves to the biggest names in Hollywood or the media or schools or otherwise. And we do it because we think it matters. We think that by being affiliated with such a showy name, that it says something significant about us in the world. We think that people will look at us and think, now there's someone who has it all together. And so I think Luke uses this word to put before us the contrast between this show of great power and authority, which he notes is nothing but pomp, fantasy, and the fantasy of the great kingdoms of this world and the contrast with that and the man Paul. A chained prisoner, a humble servant bearing witness to a lasting and eternal kingdom in contrast to that which is in the world. And when you think about the great pomp of Agrippa and the great pomp of this world. Just ask yourself the question when you see pomp today, what has become of the Roman Empire? What has become of the great kingdoms of men throughout history? And then ask yourself the sobering question, what will one day become of the great country that we find ourselves living in today? They've all fallen. They all will eventually fall because kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall, but what kingdom remains today? It's the kingdom of our God. Christ prevails, his word prevails, his church prevails, and while all the impressive things of this world, all of the fantasies and the pomp of this world, they all continue to crumble. And they all disappear one by one, but it is the gospel of our Lord Jesus and his kingdom that remain. And so here's Paul, a man like us. Lowly, humble, not much. God's given him enough. He's a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the eyes of the world, he's counted as nothing. He's looked at as the refuse of the world. And here is Paul standing before the great leaders of the Roman Empire and the great leaders of the Israel people, the Jewish people, all of the important people of the world. He's in chains, he holds up his hands. Agrippa nods so that he might give him his speech and Paul holding up his hands with the chains is about to testify before Gentile and Jew alike, just as God said he would. And he can do it because he's bold, because he is confident in God's promises and God's ability to carry it out. And this is what Paul even writes to Second, in 2 Second Timothy four, seventeen to 18. He says, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so Christ is with us. And so we pick up in verse Twenty-six, Verse 1, Paul, before the kings, before the leaders, is called to bear witness to Christ, this man, Paul, strengthened by the Spirit of God. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our own religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O King. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem, In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw, the way, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? it is hard for you to kick against the goads and i said who are you lord and the lord said i am jesus whom you are persecuting but rise and stand upon your feet for i have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have been seen me and to those in which i will appear to you delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but first declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea And also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets of Moses said would come to pass that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. What a testimony. What a testimony. The Apostle Paul, he lays out before King Agrippa the testimony of his life, and the testimony of his salvation and the fact that he is redeemed. He's not so much defending himself saying, I want to get off. He's actually using this opportunity to share the gospel with Agrippa and those who are there. And so he reiterates what we've seen before in Acts, his conversion to Christ, and he explains how I was a Jew among Jews. I was a Pharisee. I lived according to the law. I tried to earn my own righteousness. I pursued Christians. I rebelled against the way. I lived in hostility to the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ himself came and appeared to me and confronted me in my sin and changed my heart and my life. And I now see Jesus differently than I once saw him so he he goes through his life and after all that God had done for his people and revealed to them in his word as recorded in the old testament paul asks he says christ who is risen from the grave who in whom we hope that god made his promises has now fulfilled in him Why is it incredible to any of you sitting here and listening, to any of you, that God would keep his promises and that God raises the dead? Perhaps the Gentile people, steeped in pagan religion and philosophy, might think it's incredible. Perhaps Festus thinks it's incredible. But for those who believed in the supernatural and communed with God, as the Jews did why would they think it's so incredible that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, could be risen? And so Paul, as he is saying this and as he is calling them to repentance, I want you just to understand what he has just said to them. Don't miss this. Paul just said to them before Jews and Romans appointed kings in a Roman court. He just said, God is going to deliver his people from you. He just testified before them, Jew and Gentile, that they were in blindness regarding their sin and that they were living in darkness. He just testified before them the words of the Lord Jesus that they were living under the power of Satan and against God. He just testified before them that they needed the forgiveness of their sins. He just testified before them that they were unholy before God. And he just testified before them that they can only be made holy by faith in Jesus Christ. He gave them in boldness before these leaders the clear proclamation of the gospel that Jesus Christ is the Savior given by God to redeem all sinners from their sin. How are we doing with that? How are we doing with that? How are we doing with explaining the reality of the sin that people are living in? And I ask that, and not because I have it together, but I I realize that Paul is saying this before an audience that is filled with powerful people. And he's in prison, and he's faithful to tell them the truth as it is, and our culture today is going to tell you that presenting the gospel in that way is unloving and unchrist like. Aren't they? But whose words did Luke record here in the ones that he testifies to before the audience? They are, if you have a red letter Bible you'll find that they are the words of Christ himself. And so the world may not want to hear it, and many, even in the church, will say it is unloving and unchrist like We need to be more gentle, more winsome, less offensive, more accepting of lifestyles that oppose God's law. We, we need to tell people that God loves you and God accepts you just the way that you are and that God makes no demands on the lives of people. We need to tell them that Jesus is, is nice and accepting and that he, he is not going to hold them accountable for their slippery and sloppy and ungodly life. This is what the world wants to hear if we're going to preach Jesus. They want to hear that the only sin that people need forgiveness for is the sin of not loving yourself more. This is the world that we live in. But but when you hear the proclamation of the gospel that Paul gives before the pomp and the, the fantasies of the world, he's not saying God just wants everyone to get along as one happy family. And Jesus came to bring all faiths and people together under him. That's not what he's saying. He is saying, if you look in verse, in chapter 26, verse, um, he is saying that you need to repent and turn to God for the forgiveness of your sins. You need to to repent and turn to God for the forgiveness of your sins. You see what he says? To this day, for this reason, the Jews seized me, verse 21, in the temple and tried to kill me. But I was telling them, because I was telling them, verse 20, I declared it, to Jews in Damascus, Jerusalem, to Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. And for this reason the Jews seized me in the temple and they tried to kill me. But my help, Paul says, has been from God all along so that I might testify this before you. Now, at this point, at this point, as he tells this to Agrippa, Paul, standing before great and small, that the Christ must suffer and that by being first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to both to our people and to the Gentiles, which he did, at which point Festus, Interrupts with a loud voice, verse 24. And he says what most of the world continues to say to believers today Paul, you are out of your mind. This is contrary to science, this is contrary to reason. This is contrary to what everything that we know about the known world. How can you believe in such a fantastical tale, in other words? How can you believe in such a fantasy? Paul, you are out of your mind. Have you ever heard that? This is how the world sees it. You're out of your mind when they hear the gospel proclaimed. But, but look at what Paul says to Festus, Festus in verse 25. Paul says to Festus, Festus, I am not out of my mind, but I am speaking true and rational words. In other words, Festus, there is nothing in what I am saying now about Jesus Christ and the promises of God and the forgiveness of sin and the resurrection of the dead, there is nothing in what I am saying before you that is contradictory or unreasonable. And there there really isn't. It It is not irrational and contradictory to sound logic to believe that God, who created the heavens and the earth by his word can also bring about a glorious redemption through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It is not irrational. In fact, he says, these things have not been hidden in a corner. They have been done for all the world to see and to hear about. And and the evidence is all there. The evidence about Jesus Christ I'm going to put before you today is there. The evidence regarding his earthly lineage being through Abraham and King David is there. It's recorded in Matthew 1. The evidence is there in regards to even the city that he would be born in, which is the city of Bethlehem. The evidence is written. It's there. The evidence is there in the very life that he lived in the fact that he lived an innocent and perfect life, in the fact that he was able to heal the blind and give hearing to the deaf and to raise the dead, the evidence is there as testified to all that Jesus did and said in his life. The evidence is there in terms of his predicted suffering and death on a cross, that they would mock him, that they would ridicule him, that they would reject him, even his own people, and that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. The evidence is all laid there before you. The evidence is there that in his resurrection from the dead, after three days he would rise again, as said in the scriptures, the evidence is there that the tomb is empty. The evidence is there regarding those who saw him risen. It's all laid before you. And if you are honest, Festus, the evidence is there that all of us are sinners who are guilty before God, and we really do need a Savior. Festus is implied in his response who is really the one who is out of their mind? Is it Paul? Or is it those that he is standing before proclaiming salvation to you to them? Is it Paul or is it those who in great pomp with ruffled feathers and earthly power and vain glory living in the fantasy that they will one day escape the judgment of almighty God? Who is the one who is out of their minds? The fool says in his heart that there is no God. And the fool lives his life in that manner. And it reminds me of the parable of our Lord that he told of the rich fool in Luke 12, 13 to 21. He's explaining how one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And this rich fool, he had so much. Do you remember? He had so much and his barn was full. And he kept reaping more and he kept getting more. And he said, I, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to build more barns to contain more of what this world has to offer. And as he filled his barns and his goods came with great pomp and great satisfaction and great comfort of the world, he said, now my soul is satisfied and I will sit down and be merry and relax and enjoy life. And God said to him, you fool, don't you know that this very day your soul will be required of you and what will happen? with all the things that you've collected. You will come before the judgment throne of God and you will come with all of the evidence laid before you. Festus, I am not out of my mind, but what I am speaking to you is the truth. And so Paul not missing the opportunity, he turns to Agrippa, and he knows that Agrippa is aware of all of the evidence regarding Jesus. (laughs) And he asks him, do you believe the prophets? Wow, I know you believe. Agrippa, he knows what Paul is saying. Agrippa, he's saying, consider the evidence, consider and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, King Agrippa, and you will be saved. And so Agrippa prefers his fantasy over the truth. He prefers darkness rather than coming to the light. And in a proud and dismissive way, he says, huh, would you also try and persuade me The king of Judea, to be a follower of this Jesus, this so called king of creation? Would you persuade me? Look at me. Look at my, look at all these people sitting around. Look at all these people watching. Look at, I am the one sitting in this tribunal, Paul. I'm the one who is representing the king. The emperor of the Roman Empire, and would you persuade me to be a Christian? I've got it all together. And Paul says, Yes. Yes, King of Judea. Yes, President of the United States. Yes, Premier of Canada. Yes, President of North Korea. Yes, President Queen of England. Yes, of China. Yes, of Russia. Yes, of Israel. Yes, of Mexico. Yes, of Australia. Yes, of all the nations of the world, Paul says, yes, King Agrippa of Judea, I would not only want you, but I pray to God that all who hear me this day might be a follower of Christ as I am, except without these at which point the leaders arise and in a private conversation, they recognize, as they did of our Lord, that there was nothing wrong, that this man was innocent. And they say to one another, and I just want you to see the irony and the tragedy in this, this man could have been set free this man could have been set free had he not appealed to Caesar. Turn it around. What would Paul have said to them? He would have said, no, you could have truly been set free had you appealed to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Beloved, that's the message we have from the Lord. That is the message he gave Paul to proclaim before these leaders. And in God's providence and his care over our lives, he has set us in a place to proclaim the same message to whoever were before. Make no mistake about it. Don't be discouraged by your situation. Just four quick points. Don't be discouraged. Be energized by God's work of providence in your life. Be at work doing God's work, knowing that he will always be at work through you, accomplishing his purposes and will. Just like Paul pressed on, Press on. Don't fear, but trust in God. Paul was able to be bold before the world because he trusted that Christ was working through it all. Be thankful for all the good things that happened. You even notice how Paul was thankful that he was able to give his defense before Agrippa. This is God's doing. And finally, just remember There is no such thing as luck. Paul was not lucky in any of this. God was at work through it all. And whatever mistakes you've made or injustices were done against you or opposition you have faced or trials and all the emotional and physical damage that they bring, your life is never so off course that Christ cannot use it for his glory to bear witness to his name. And we've seen him do that with Paul, and we should take comfort in that. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the blessing of your word and, and the power of it. We thank you that you are sovereign over all of the events of life and that nothing escapes your notice and that nothing happens that you have not permitted to happen. And even here, as we see how you have worked through the Apostle Paul, that he might bear witness to the Lord Jesus Christ, Father, we pray that we would have such boldness. We pray that we would be faithful ambassadors of the good news that you have given to us, we pray that we would not be so earthly-minded that we are of no heavenly good. We pray, O oh God, that you would deliver us from that, for we know that our real problem is not being too heavenly-minded, but our real problem is being too earthly-minded and, and being drawn away into the things of this world. Father, may the attention of our hearts and souls m- not be drawn away by the pomp and the fantasy of this world, the things that are passing. Keep us from pursuing the things in this life that will burn and perish when you bring judgment upon the world. Help us that we might keep our hearts from falling in love with our money, from falling in love with our homes. Keep our hearts, Father, that we might not fall in love with our comfort and security Help us, Lord, not to fall in love with power and fame and recognition, O God. Help us to be a humble people. Help us to be looked at not as the envied in this world, but as those who are loved by a great God and a merciful Savior and who live by the Holy Spirit, empowered by you. Help us, we pray, to do this for the glory of your name and keep us, O oh God. We pray in Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I thought a fitting hymn as a sense of reminder and a sense of and a sense of praise and, and a, a hymn that was written by by a man who, some 1,500 years after the Apostle Paul, faced a trial of his own as he sought to defend and stand for the gospel, Martin Luther, he wrote a song in the midst of his trials, and it's called, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. I think it's a great reminder for us as God's people to remember that our King, the Lord Jesus Christ, our God, King of glory, um, he will forever stand and we in him. Let's stand together and sing m 53.